You are now listening to Tempo Podcast. This is Tempo Podcast, and I am Chris Thomas. We're in episode 13, talking about dreams come true. I'm here with a friend, my frat brother, Terrell Williams, out of Delaware by way of Philadelphia. And uh, man, I'm excited about today just to get to, you know, hear, hear you share, man. How you feeling today? Feeling pretty good, you know. Uh, well, first, thank you for the opportunity. What has been like almost 20 years in the making, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't, you know what I mean? When you, when I saw that you were running, that you were in politics and seeing that, you know, you were running for that, uh, that, that Senate seat in Delaware, for me, it was inspiring because I remember just being in class with you and we're back and forth. Uh, bouncing ideas off each other, debating about different issues, social issues, political issues. So to see you actually run for that for that Senate seat in Delaware, man, that was inspiring to me. I, I, I look at it like a dream within a dream within a dream because you talked about what your impact was to the to the country, not just locally, you know, but with, with the impact that you wanted to put your imprint in in politics. Um, can you just talk about briefly, if you want, to, to, to tell people who may not know who Terrell Williams is and, and what got you to this point in this stage in your life right now? Wow. Yo, oh, man. It, what got me here? Who is Terrell Williams? Um, at heart, I'm a kid from Philly. West Oak Lane, born and raised uh, from a, I won't say a two-parent household, I will say from a fragmented uh, household. My mom and dad were married for uh, most of my young years, and then they were divorced as they as I came into my teenage years. Um, a product of the public school system for the most part. Um, a U.S. veteran, a veteran of the United States Army. Maybe I have a couple more years left to do jack. We'll see. Um, <laughs> depending on the climate and how the body feels. Uh, Father of four, um, married most of the time. <laughs> um, what what got me here? Um, I, I would say probably since the time Bill Clinton took office. Okay. Um, and watching the movie A Few Good Men, I knew I was going to go into serving the people, serving the community. And um, my biggest African-American inspiration growing up was always Thurgood Marshall. So from the time I figured out who he was, always knew that I was going to become a lawyer, go to law school, uh, whatever I had to do to become an attorney and advocate and help people, help members of my community on that front and then transition into politics. Um, as far as running for office, uh, that's something I've talked about since I was in um, since I was a kid. Um, like I said, I watched uh, Bill Clinton in 1992 run for presidency, looking at this white dude playing jazz 
<laughs> showing up on all the Hall shows. So, uh, right. I, I think that's when I first started getting into the news, you know, with the OJ debacle and looking at CNN. I'm like, shit, I think I could do this. Right. And from there, um, I have to give a lot of credit to my mom because she's always uh, fronted the dream. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give credit to some of the women that I've had in my life who else who also um, help uh, just support the dream and keep me going in a direction in which I can live out. Um, not my fantasy or just my dream, but my goals. And I don't think people give uh, other people um, the credit that, that that is due when you are able to reach everything, all your goals that you dreamed of as a little kid, and you're able to accomplish them and live them out. Yeah. So let me, like, to segue into this, like, so what examples in your life that help shape your perspective? I know you, you gave, uh, you know, mention of the women in your life. But was there any other people or any situations that kind of elevated, you know, your pursuit into this? Well, so I guess Cheney played a very large role. As you know, when we first met, I was bouncing around. Um, I was doing yeah. the Army. I was doing back and forth between Clark Atlanta, uh, Cheney, um, back and forth between Clark Atlanta and Cheney. And um, I, I have to say that first, Dr. Parham. Um, yeah. All the people from our Cheney days know who she is. God bless her soul. Uh, had a very, um, very powerful impact on my shaping my direction. People like uh, Dr. Miles, Professor Buckner, um, Dr. Holmes, all those people there at Cheney um, kind of gave me, still, well, made me believe that I could actually do it back when we were just talking trash and um, throwing out <laughs> ideas, not, not really knowing that it was power in our words. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned Cheney. Uh, other than the, you know, the professors and uh, the educational aspect, in what other ways have Cheney, you know, kind of affected you? Well, you know what? Um, I would say it introduced me to Phi Beta Sigma and um, introduced me to people like you. Um, I remember when I first got there and um, one of the bros on the yard, Biggie, um, hey, gave yeah. me three books. <laughs> he said, you're going to be a Sigma. And from there, you guys, um, despite all the adversities, up and downs that we've had as brothers, young men, um, mm -hmm. this has probably been the single most um, impactful organization in my life outside of the army uh from some of my frat brothers that i've met um from atiba from you um believe it or not like even uh, like so many people don't know that me and chris are probably like two alpha males not in the sense of like we're overly muscular and um intimidating but as far as chasing our dreams and accomplishing goals so in that we had a rivalry at times and we had different ways of accomplishing our goals. Not to say one was wrong or right, but we moved differently. And um, watching some of the success that you had early on continued to motivate me because I took a longer, I took the longer route. Um, I decided I was going to go back to school, go to law school, go through this, go get a master's degree. 
then finished yeah. law school. And in the, in the midst of all that, I was I, I had four beautiful kids. So I didn't settle right down and say, I'm going to start this business right here. I had to work at it, move pieces around, um, keep my eyes affixed on what I wanted to do personally. Also, with what my responsibilities as a man and as a family person, yeah. I was obligated to. So, um, yes, Phi Beta Sigma has played a very significant role in helping shape who I am, who I interact with, and how I go about carrying myself. Absolutely. So uh, I, I took an a, a, a article that you, this is a piece of it that you wrote, and, and you mentioned that, you know, the alpha male, uh, you said this, you said, uh, trying to fit in was never my style. More importantly, fitting in never moved our cause forward. Um, and got to the conversation about black people uh, do not need to agree on everything to have a consensus. But the Democratic Party may not be the one the one shoe fits all for black people. But it makes it may make no mistake about it. It's our party. Um, that first piece, man, you trying not to fit in never was your style. That's completely you. When I saw that, I said, I got to bring that, bring that up because I, I said, man, if, I, I know you, you know, and yeah, we, we disagreed on a lot of things. But one thing that we, you know, we kind of had that common respect for one another. We're going to get it done. You know, no matter what the objective oh, yeah. is, no matter what the goal is, we're going to get it done. And I always admired that about you. Um, <clears throat> so when did you realize that, you know, public office, because you went the army route, educational route, and you said one day you woke up and said, man, I'm going to run for office. What, what made you come to that conclusion? So uh, this last two years I've been working. So I've worked for the federal government now and probably for the last 10 years, went from U.S. went from U.S. Uh, the Bureau of Prisons to U.S. probation um, to the Census Bureau, uh, Department okay. of Commerce. So uh, the Department of Commerce was the first time I've actually been in an upper management position, middle management, upper management, but I've actually had a seat at the table to actually see how things run. Wow. And over the course of those two years, and especially with a president that wanted to undermine um, the representation of Americans through the census, I realized that it's, it's no perfect time to get out there and run. Mm -hmm. And so I've had coworkers who we come into the office every day and we're debating politics and all he's like, uh, we have a state senator here in Delaware that's vulnerable. He was like, if you run and don't win, you still win because you'll get the name recognition. And he's Absolutely. 81 years old, so he has to retire sooner or later. And there's not too many people out there that can boast the resume that I have. Um, that, that said, uh, it was one morning in June, um, one of my... Uh, one of my bosses, mentors, uh, I'm going to shout her out because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the bane of her existence sometimes. Like I used to be the bane of your existence. When you say, you say, you say, you and I say, no, let's do this. Uh, yeah. You know how I could be, and uh, I was the bane of her existence. But uh, we got along great just like how we get along. But um she came back and I thought I was, I thought I should have received a promotion that I didn't. And I realized how politics plays a role in it. And I'm like, okay, it's not my time. So you know what? I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. So yeah. at the height of 
us getting back out there, um, working, having people returning and knocking on doors to conduct the census, I resigned and said, you know what, I'm going to run for office. <laughs> wow. So my coworkers all donated money. I used about $5,000 of my own. Um, our soror by way of Howard that came to Cheney, Lisa Bynum's, uh, became my campaign manager. And we out, we laid out a strategy and a plan um, to really just get name recognition. We weren't even trying to win. Okay. And just to create name recognition, create a policy. And then it kind of took a whole, it kind of took a hold of its own and that people were actually interested in my platform and what I had to say and some of the policies, some of the ideas that I had that one, that I wanted to share with the rest of Delaware. So that, that's pretty much how it came to fruition. You know, I can be impulsive and erratic at times. And, you know, it was one of those impulsive moments that it's like, you know what? I'm going to quit. Gave them two weeks notice. Next thing I know, I was knocking on doors in the middle of a pandemic. Came in second place. Uh, did really well, much more than expected on a shoestring budget. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the campaign, what are some things that you learned about the campaign that you did not know? Um, I did not realize how important the senior vote is. Okay. So if I would have siphoned off about 20% of the senior vote from my opponent, who's also a senior, um, I would, I would have won the election just 20%. Wow. And, um, that's important. And also it, it taught me that, um, People are part of our generation, the millennial generation, generation X, Y, Z, uh, the millennials, and even the alpha generation, generation alpha that's coming to age right now, all the young 18, 19-year-olds from the early 2000s, um, how important their votes is. So it's a lot of people out there that get involved and we galvanize them hmm. and get them all excited to vote and about different issues and platforms, but not many people show up to the polls. And what I realized in that is, well, first, it, it highlighted the job that Stacey Abrams did down in Georgia. Mm. Um, the way that she galvanized and excited the Democratic base down in Georgia and brung almost 90% of new African emotions new African-American voters are um, people that haven't voted in the last two election cycles back out to participate in the senatorial elections, the presidential elections uh, was amazing, um, astonishing, amazing. And that realized that made me realize the work that I have to do to get people in our age category to get out there and vote and not let not let's just rely on the elders to do everything for us. Yeah, absolutely. So you didn't get the uh the, the outcome you desired, but you said from jump, it wasn't about just it wasn't about winning. It was just about getting your name out there. And for me, you ran, you came in second place. That's a win-win in my book. Because now it has created it created that momentum for you now. So do you think you'll run again in the next uh, I I'm planning on it and I'm looking at a couple of options. So right now we're waiting for the census results to come back, um, like many states, um, even in North Carolina where you are, we're waiting to see how the uh, the lines, 
the set, the state Senate lines and House districts lines will be redrawn and yeah. how that will impact uh, certain offices, legislative offices at the state level and municipal levels. And then I'll go from there. But I will probably begin fundraising sometime in April and okay. look towards uh, running for office in the near future. So, yes, I will run again sometime in 2022. I haven't made a decision on which state office or uh, Senate seat I will run for. Okay. Um, but We'll see how it plays out. We have to wait for the district to be redrawn. Okay. Let's say, you know, you, you came out, you came out on top. What policies would you uh, want to, one, change? And then what policies would you want to implement? So the first thing that I'd probably change is uh, Delaware's Police Officer Bill of Rights Law. Um, I'm a firm believer that we need transparency in law enforcement. And anytime we allow law enforcement to operate under a veil of secrecy, uh, minorities will pay the price, not just African-Americans, Latinos, Asians. Um, doesn't matter. We bear the burden of being a subclass compared to white Americans at this point. So if we want equality across the board. Then we need more transparency. Absolutely. Um, also, I would think about implementing the light rail system. So, as you know, um, Delaware has public transportation, probably the worst in the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm one of them people that think we need a, a light rail system to connect northern Delaware with southern Delaware to ease the congestions on our roadways. Right now, Delaware spends enormous amounts of money on repaving, rebuilding, highways to nowhere, uh, <laughs> doing road work and construction and repairing. And I'm like, well, our population is growing. We can now we can now sustain a light rail system to bridge the gap between the north and the south. And not only that, but we can create a light rail system that unites the lines with SEPTA and the Baltimore DC transit line, then we have a connected uh public transit transportation system that connects from New York City down to DC. So right. that is one of my other goals. And, and also just um, create equitable and not equal, equitable uh, distribution when it comes to African Americans and other minorities being able to buy houses and obtain the credit and financing needed, and also equitable uh, treatment when it comes to the healthcare system. Um, right now, as you can see, probably even so down in North Carolina and the Charlotte area, that the way African-Americans and other minorities are being treated when it comes to COVID-19 and the disparities among Man. who's getting the vaccination and who's not, who's living and who's dying and how we're treated when we go into a healthcare uh, facility is <laughs> at least something to be desired. I won't get into my soap dish too much. But uh, also, um, as parents, we see what our women go through when they're delivering our babies. Um, mm -hmm. The mortality rate among minority women, especially African-American women, is three times higher of that of our white female counterparts. That is something that we have to address. Um, we need doctors that understand that when we come in with a complaint, 
that our complaints should be taken serious and that these doctors and nurses should work diligently to diagnose whatever issues that we are suffering from and treat us fairly and humanely. So those are just some of the issues. Um, alleviating student loan debt, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, like, I'm glad that you brought up the healthcare because um, I was reading up on uh, just some, some, some questions and answers that uh, Planned Parenthood had reached out to you and asked. And uh, you basically, you know, you, to sum it up, you said this is out of, you know, your words. You said, I will, will and would support any funding that continues the free flowing communication between doctor and patient. Uh, can you, you know, dive in a little bit into that and talk about the relationship between doctor and patient and why is that so important? Well, I tell people the most important relationship a person can have between the professions is uh, a doctor's relationship is similar to attorney-client privilege. Mm. Um, so you should be able to tell your doctor anything and know that that doctor can't go back and tell anybody else. Right. Um, when it comes to Planned Parenthood, I, I think too many men are voicing their opinions on what women should do to their bodies. Now, I'm a father of three daughters. <laughs> I don't yeah. want no more telling my daughter what, <laughs> what she can't do right. as with their bodies. Um, as a Christian, and we're both Christian, Absolutely. I, I find it idiotic for people to talk about abortion as, this, as if it's the greatest sin of all and not talk about racism. Um, prejudice, or just the overall care, the care of life, uh, quality of life, not care of life, the quality of life for when these children are born. So in one breath, we don't want to give women the option to do whatever it is they want to do to their body. But then if we force them to have kids, we don't want to use taxpayer dollars to help support those kids. We can't have it both ways. And we as Christians, must step up and pick a sideline. And I, I for one, will pick that of the woman. I believe that um, medical care is an individual choice and it's not for public debate. It's not for uh, legislators to dictate what people can and can't have done to their bodies and what treatment they're, uh, they're able to get. Uh, we put so many restrictions on what people can do with their medical insurance that they pay for, willfully pay for every pay period or every month through their hard earned dollars. And we're limiting with treatments that they can receive, get, and what the insurance company have paid for, which interrupts our quality of life. Um, one of them people that would like to put medical decisions back in the hands of doctors and not uh, lawyers, not politicians, and not a executive board members, et cetera. Man. So let me ask you, so right now we find ourselves in a, a tumultuous social climate. However, you know, we can point out everything, you know, uh, white America should do, should not do and things of that nature. Um, what areas can African-Americans improve uh, in our communities today? Man, you know what? It, this is always a difficult conversation, especially for black people that want to be leaders, because this is one. Of, at some point, we're going to have that conversation. 
that come to Jesus moment that that unofficial black leader or mythical black leader is going to have to step up to the pulpit and we're going to have to take a chastisement to in order to get our own shop in house and um I'm not sure if I'm the person <laughs> that should be doing it <laughs> or any person, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. So without sidestepping, some of the things, we need to make a decision on education. Um, for us, education has been a gateway to us living out our dreams and providing for our families. But not enough of us are taking advantage of that. Um, I'm going to call out the black church for a little bit. Um, yeah. I think um, too many ministers, bishops, reverends, <laughs> deacons yeah. had subscribed to a uh, philosophy of Christianity that's not in line with traditional Christianity or with our history. And prosperity gospel has ruined the black church in America, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, when I, I look when I look around at mega churches and I hear and well, when I look around at mega churches and I see some of the hypocrisy that goes on in some of them, mm. when I, I see the the hierarchy, the social hierarchy that goes on in churches, uh, it kind of turns my stomach. Yeah. And as a Christian, I, I think that we need to do better. And I, I implore all of our uh, church leaders out there to take a look and take a look in the mirror, look within themselves, pray about it. Uh, have a conversation with your congregation and make these churches more welcoming. The black church historically has been a beacon for African-Americans throughout history, no matter your religion, sexuality, your creed, no matter what your social status was, the black church would be a resource of information to African-Americans when it comes, when hard times like COVID-19 arise, or if we're trying to get rid of slavery or fight Jim Crow, the civil yeah. rights movement. And right now, the black church isn't necessarily playing a significant role, in my opinion, in shaping the lives of African-Americans in this country. Next, um, we have to, we, we have to, really focus on shaping and holding our elected leaders accountable. Um, black people are the Democratic Party, and I, I don't want to segue too much, but yesterday, uh, the, a Democratic Senate failed to pass a minimum wage, a minimum wage hike of $15 an hour across the country. Now, and I know for Small business owners like yourself, Chris, that, that could be a burden. But the Democratic Party promised African-Americans something. Not just African-Americans, but just Americans across the board, all working class, lower middle class, uh, mm -hmm. poor Americans, a gateway opportunity to be able to not only take care of themselves, but work their ways up into other classes, other social classes. Right. And if we can't uh, pass something as simple as a $15 an hour minimum wage in this country, then our elected leaders are, are failing us. And we in the black community must, you know what, we must embrace change. We must not pedestal our elected leaders, our community leaders. Uh, we must realize that these people are flawed and they come with an expiration date. Yeah. Um, and that sounds harsh, but the reality is we have elected leaders right now in Washington, D.C., that are belly fat and rich. 
and they're disconnected <laughs> from the struggle. That's um, true. Bro, we look around, we still got family members that don't make what we make. And whenever we're uh, prompted or called, we sometimes have to dig in our pockets to help them out. But yeah. if, we, if they were able to at least get a decent wage and $15 an hour in the richest country in the world, it isn't a decent wage, but it's, it's tolerable for now. Um, then what are we doing? So I, I would implore black people not to just look to Washington, look on the local level, look at your cities, look at your counties, uh, look at your school boards, um, look at state offices and get on some of these other boards. Uh, like I sit on a diversity council for Newcastle County, um, just helping with getting minorities more opportunities at county jobs. Um, okay. Contact your local councilman, state representative, state senator, your mayor, whoever, county executive, whoever that may be, ensure that we are getting our fair share of the pie. Let me ask you about that that uh, diversity council in Newcastle County. Um, is it is it is it is it uh, is it producing what it's set out to do? Uh, the conversations are ongoing. Okay. Um, is it producing? It's too early to tell. Okay. Um, I think our county executive, Matt Myers, is doing a good job, and he's very inclusive and all for diversity. But like I tell many people, Delaware is a southern state, believe it or not. It's yeah. below the Mason-Dixon line, and we very much operate like a southern state. So uh, there's work to be done. And we're working to make Newcastle County as inclusive as possible. But that said, we need our people to go out and apply for these jobs and be qualified. Yeah. Um, and that I takes. Think, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. But no, I was going to say I think that's the biggest obstacle is that it's it's a shame to say it, but it's a lot of people that are not qualified for the positions. You know, but there is no no place that's really training people according, you know, to these different positions that's out there and stuff. And I'm glad you spoke to that. And let me let me just uh, state my piece on that. So I'm okay. one of them people that don't believe in education. I tell people, if you look at all my grades from law school all the way back from 11th grade on, um, I'm a C-plus student at best. Now, I have the ability to be an A-plus student, but I don't care for it. I just need to pass it. Uh, most people <laughs> Checking my uh, transcripts to see my degrees, but I, I'm well versed enough that if people ask explanation, I'll give them my philosophy. Um, that said, I, I think we need to put an emphasis back on the skills, the trades, and we also need to have a discussion about how education and certifications are given out in this country. Right now, for a person to be a CNA, they got to take a $10,000 class to just be a, a certified nursing assistant, $10,000. That with the interest rate and what they pay CNNs right now, they make $9 an hour, anywhere from nine to $12 an hour. Let's say they have a couple kids. Yeah. Rent, the average amount of rent in this country is around $1,200. Food, right. utility. Internet is now the essential utility, it should be anyway. And so I tell people, uh, we got to get back to the point where we allow apprenticeships. 
mm-hmm. growing up, my mom was a registered nurse, but I remember her telling me stories on how she used to be a candy striper. A candy striper back in the 1960s and 70s is a CNA. Mm. Um, just now, we're really starting to see a hold of community colleges allowing nurses to take the prerequisite courses just to become RNs. That saves them a boatload of money instead of having to go to a four-year institution. Wow. We have a proliferation of degrees out there, and many of these degrees don't necessarily lead to wealth. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, every time I turn around, look, when I'm doing interviews and I'm looking at people's resumes, I'm like, well, what is this degree in, yo? <laughs> what is this field? Yeah. And, and I, I say that, and I've actually written letters to Cheney on actually consolidating and offering complete majors. There's no wow. need in uh, giving a hosh posh of classes and calling a degree some type of hybrid degree that does not does not necessarily translate into a livable wage or uh or career success so for all of those people out there that don't want to go to school there are other ways to make money and going to get a certification going to get a trait should allow you to make a livable wage in which you can support your family Absolutely. Absolutely. Bringing it back to our people, many of the jobs at our county and state level, and even within unions, um, we need more black people to apply um, because many of these jobs, you can learn the skills, they'll train you. So don't disqualify yourself by not applying. Uh, get out there, apply for a job. Sometimes embellish your resume because you are capable and you do possess the skills. For many of our people out there with college degrees, embellished, it's not lying. Go take a community class, community college class and learn how to do an Excel spreadsheet or something to gain whatever the skills you need to be able to do that job. Anything you want to learn today, you can do it on YouTube if you <laughs> had the discipline. <laughs> so Google it, people apply. Get the interview. Let them tell you you don't qualify for it and go from there. For all of our people that want to go into law enforcement, keep applying. And if you run into a barrier or you're disqualified from being a first responder, let someone know. Write your Mm -hmm. local council. Hey, I think the Philadelphia Police Department or the Wilmington Police Department is discriminating against me. Hey, Charlotte Police Department is discriminating against me. Let somebody else that can fight that battle for you, join your battle. Um, right. Allow people to uh, just tell you no and don't always give you an explanation. Yeah, it's really about being proactive rather than reactive. Just exactly. get ahead of it. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about uh, the Biden-Harris administration? You know what? I, I was one of them first people out there just said, I'm going to support Joe. And mm-hmm. from the jump, I thought he was either going to put uh, Cory Booker out of New Jersey or uh, Kamala Harris. I knew he was going to pick a person of color right. or, um, and, and go from there. So first off, I'm pleased. Um, okay. and Kamala Harris ascending to the vice presidency um, is a big coup for everyone that attended the HBCU like you and myself. Right. Um, 
it gives validation to our institutions. It gives validations to our degrees. So therefore, uh, we can tell the naysayers out there that all went to PWIs or wherever yeah. and be quiet. <laughs> uh, our skill sets are rising. And I, I tell people all the time that it's our generation, Chris, like me and your generation, the millennial generation, that's going to take HBCU to the next level. That said, um, I'm happy that Biden is president. Uh, man, <laughs> you know <what? laughs> let me tell people. So for all those people that were happy that uh, because of Trump's tax reform bill and you guys got an extra $10 or $20 in your paycheck, um, people like me and you end up owing taxes every year. Because I, know, I, I argue this every day. People think I'm crazy. Right. <laughs> Me and you pay taxes every year. So under, let's tell people, because I didn't start really making money until under Obama, mm. but under Obama, I got a tax refund. Under President Trump, and right now, for the first year of Biden's presidency, I'm going to end up paying back $2,000. People don't, they don't get it, man. Like, and they, the incentives that they, some of the loopholes that they closed, the incentives that they closed out that was supposed to go for corporation only hurt the working and middle class. Mm -hmm. So all you guys that are happy that you got an extra $10, $20 in your paycheck, congratulations. But the burden bearers of this country are suffering. And so I hope that is one of the initiatives that Biden and, and President uh, VP Harris takes on first. Um, I'm not too concerned about President Biden and um, Kamala Harris. I'm more concerned about the House and the Senate. Um, I think Biden and Kamala bring stability to the White House and credibility back to leadership at the top of our government. But right now, like I said, we had uh, seven Democratic senators kill minimum wage bill uh, on the House floor yesterday that could drastically improve the lives of millions of Americans, especially those Democratic believers or supporters that believe in what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were preaching during the primaries and during the general election cycle. So Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, I see you. Um, <laughs> I, I um I am woefully, woefully disappointed in you voting to uh, voting against increasing minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. Man, so <clears throat> in terms of like you know our people, meaning black Black America, we have misconceptions about Democrats. We have misconceptions about. Um, Republicans, can you clear up that you know that gray area of why Black Americans really kind of lean toward the Democratic Party rather than the Republic Republican Party? Well, so I'm, this is just my opinion. So I, I'm gonna say okay. this and um, go from there. Most Black Americans are Republican in nature. Mm -hmm. We are, um, and you, if you look at our religious philosophies, you look at how we raise our children, um, how we were raised despite our circumstances. Um, we're Democrat, I mean, we're Republican in nature. Yeah. Um, we're conservative. We have conservative beliefs. 
Mm-hmm. That said, we don't vote Republican because it's inherently racist. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that we need black people in the Republican Party. Um, we yeah. don't need them to be as uh, conservative and radical as a Clarence Thomas. But we need some that are General Colin Powell-like, Condoleezza Rice-like, um, to help steady that ship. That way the black dialogue can be heard across both platforms. And one of the things that's lacking in our country is having comp, uh, let, let's say, uh, I, I don't want to say comparable, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it will never be equal. But we just need some black Republican candidates that understand the black dilemma. Yeah, and put forth policies. We're, black people are never looking for handouts. No, not at all. We're, 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 we've never been adverse to working, and our history in this country says that. So when I, I look at what the big divide is, it just comes down to racism. Um, this is a country that says if you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, if you work hard, go to school, get your education. Um, you can transcend to the middle class, ascend to the middle class, and have that single family home in the suburbs with the white picket fence, wife and two kids. Well, the reality is, at least for our generation, that's not true. <laughs> right. And the Republican Party has a lot to do with that. And basic and summing it up, basically, I would say that because of the racism, the inherent racism, some of their policies, the tone in which they use to describe black people and refer to black people, it makes it unimpilling. That brings us to the Democratic Party. We are Democrats by default, many of us, because our parents mm-hmm. were Democrats. Um for those of us that are closing in on, for those of us that make anywhere from about 75,000 and above, many of us could matriculate over to the Republican Party, but why would we? Yeah. Why would we? Um, would be cutting off our nose to spite our face because their policy does not allow our friends and families that are, are still struggling to make it to succeed. So, I know the Democratic Party isn't a one-size-fits-all for African-Americans, but it is the party that we have. And the Democratic Party goes as Black America goes. And as long as we keep that at the forefront, then our our issues should be heard. If not, then the Democratic Party will feel our wrath. And essentially, that is how Trump was elected to office last time. A significant amount of black people sat out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, like, <clears throat> because here's my here's my here's my dilemma with with the uh, the, the the Trump influence or the Trump concept, and not so much concerning policy. I think really a lot of with you know the 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 divide in America between Trump supporters and people who don't support Trump is the personality, you know, um, because here but here's the personality. But here's the here's the 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 drawback for a lot of people 
And I kind of would rather this than, you know, for it not to be displayed. I would rather him be outspoken about what he care about, what he doesn't care about, how he feel about certain people, rather than a person go behind them closed doors and say one thing and then come outside on their microphone and say another. I totally agree with you. Uh, you know what? Look, uh, Trump's words, his rhetoric, none of that stuff offended me. No, um, not at all. What offends, what offends me is when the Democratic Party comes right behind him and use all this politically correct speech, all these yeah. rhetorics and hyperbole, and then go out on the Senate floor and decline uh, a bill that can change the lives of millions of Americans, regardless of race. Um, I, I'm one of them people that say, I, I'd rather hear where you stand and yeah. know that you're racist and you can proclaim it. That That's not going to change how I'm going to treat you or how we interact. Bro, we already know where we stand. Yeah. That'll just make me work harder to make sure that you have no influence or power. So one of the biggest issues that I have with the Democratic Party, and again, this is coming from a registered Democrat, um, mm -hmm. is that, well, not necessarily the whole party, just the Congressional Black Caucus, the okay. pushback. So we allow Trump and Trump-like people to spread negative media about President Obama. Now, we understand President Obama just isn't the president of black people. He's the president of America. So some of the things that he's attacked with, he can't personally respond. But members that's solidified in black democratic strongholds can. Right. And they didn't. Like Michelle Obama has to take the high road. What are you guys doing? Every time I turn around and Trump does something idiotic, stupid, uh, unethical, he has legions of minions led by Senator Lindsey Graham coming to his defense. <laughs> he has Mitch McConnell out there <laughs> deflecting what actually happened and blatantly lying to try to keep the Republican Party in power. And for once, I, I want to see a Black Democrat come out and tell poor white Americans, you know what, this is the truth, is yeah. more poor white Americans on public assistance than Black people. Mm -hmm. we don't we don't have to use per racial capital right we don't right. Have to use no statistics or figures we could just look at the numbers let's look at whole numbers people it is more white americans out there taking government subsidies right now than all the african americans in this country including the millionaires mm. numbers tell us that yeah uh, We're not even talking about corporations right now. We're just talking about people. So until we get to that conversation, those hard to have conversations and letting people that people know that, you know what the truth is? Look, you vote Republican, you cutting off your health care. Mm -hmm. If you vote Republican, the medicine, the prescription drugs that you rely on, you cannot afford. If you vote Republican, large corporations will take your house. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on. I, I mean, I can run down a laundry list. Yeah. But I, I, these are things that we just have to tell people and let them know. And we have to get comfortable with saying it and repeating it. 
You know, crime crime is homogenous in this country. We talk about the crime that happens in Philadelphia, cities like Atlanta. We could say Baltimore, D.C., Chicago, Detroit, Houston, Los Angeles. But nobody talks about the crime that's happening out in Wyoming. It's all white mm. people. All North right. and South Dakota, that's, that's all white people. In the rural sections of Texas, that's all white people. Oklahoma, Washington State, Oregon. It's, it's, it's a one-sided narrative. And all I tell people is that we look at these numbers and focus. Let's just take away all these variables. Let's just look at whole numbers. The, the picture of African-Americans isn't as bleak as one would be led to believe. And that that count that again pushes us, us that have this information, people like you with this podcast, um, black media, um, to to really set the narrative straight and be more uh, more deliberate with our words and our tone. It takes elected leaders that don't worry about being reelected. Um, the next cycle and just say the God honest, God honest truth. You know what? We have we have elected officials that's in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's black. You guys can tell the truth now. Right. <laughs> you guys, is- look, bro, you're not going to be reelected. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I'm one of those people. I tell people now, like, uh, and no disrespect to the baby boomer generation, but Joe Biden is the last baby boomer or person over 60 that I'll vote for. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's time. time. To, yeah, it's time for us to pass the torch, pass the baton, and people like us to expand and be allowed to grow and lead. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned grow. Um, what are some like principles or like honor code or code of conduct that you live by and why do you live by these things? You know what? So the first thing I say is respect, um, being professional, uh, empathy. Um, that's just the social worker in me and, and being fearless. Uh, I think too many of us uh, constrain our lives by fear, our lives mm-hmm. by fear. And it doesn't allow us to step outside of our comfort zone. Um, right now, and I have a nephew and a stepson, I'm telling, like, dude, just leave. Like, y'all graduated. Y'all graduate in high school. Um, leave. Get out of Philly. Yeah, ex- expose but, yourself to other things. But you know what? Join the military. Go go away to college. You know, go away. And one of the things my nephew always say, uh, well, you got no money. Bruh. <laughs> We used to be broke at Cheney. <laughs> <We're> broke <laughs> at and I'm oh, like, man. like, dude, you got, you know what? You make some friends there yeah. and you guys will figure out how to make money uh, and you'll have fun. The money will come. Just leave. Yeah. And I, I think too many of our people are constrained by fear and status quo and they're, ex- and they're scared to expand their wings. And honestly, I, I mean, did, growing up, all you knew is that, yo, I'm, I'm going to go to school and this is the way out. Did you think you'd be this far away from Pennsylvania? No, not at, not at all. Like, we've traveled around the world and back, like, different parts of this country. I'm like, 
wow, people are actually doing this. And sometimes uh, I tell people, and I used to tell uh, the kids when I was a social worker, like, you know what, leave. Like the moment you turn 18, whatever mechanism or vehicle that you need to uplift yourself out of your current situation, do it. Don't worry about what's on the other side. Right. If you stay true to your principles, you work hard, um, let the Lord be your guide and light, it'll work out. And sometimes, sometimes too many of our people are just stuck and they become slaves to an area or a community without that because they have that, that 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 fear is constraining them and they don't have that ability to just up and leave. And I know people say the grass isn't always greener on the other, other side, but it's not always. Underline uh-huh. that part. Uh-huh. You never know. It's a 50-50 chance that it is. And if it's not, then come home. I always uh, say, the world. you know, as far as the, the piece about leaving and being exposed to different environments or cultures and things of that nature, the grass will never be green on the other side if you don't uh, uh, work that land and fertilize that soil that you land upon, you know, and I, I just know that from personal experience that like you got to sometimes you got to get out there and put some work in and, you know, learn some things in the process, but build upon that learning experience to get to that next level. You know what? And that's one of the things that is one of the words that I use in relationships. And I was just telling my daughter that, like, you you got to build your relationships on fertile ground. You got to yeah. nurture it. relationships are a two way street. Life is a two way street. It's always another choice. Mm-hmm. But if you stay true to your principles, um, let your principles, your goals be your guide and light. You can never go wrong. And too many of us never get that chance or or are probably too scared to take that chance. And I'm here to tell people, yeah. look, you know what? This coming from two people. Like yeah. it, we didn't know. We didn't know. know where we'd be 15, 15 years after college. Mm-hmm. What are some uh, graduating high school? <laughs> yeah, man. I, no clue. Just figuring it out day by day, hour by hour, and just you know, messing up, making mistakes and learning from them and then figuring it out on the other, on the other side. So like, what are some um, self-development strategies do you take part in on a daily basis? Because I think, I believe, well, first let me say this, the the podcast was built upon teaching people those self-development strategies, hearing it from firsthand information from people who have done it and has, you know, progressed in that particular area. Um, so we all always talk about self-development uh, always looking in the mirror instead of pointing a finger or looking out the window saying what someone else did or what someone else can't do. So what are some self-development strategies that you take part in on a daily basis just to help you keep going? Because believe it or not, people don't understand when you get to a certain level, you now got to do something else to keep yourself rolling. You know? Yo, so, well, it's funny you say that because I was just explaining to somebody that some days I just got to shut down mentally and decompress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um when, when you're striving to be great, it, it brings great labor to you. Um, it, it creates distress and it creates friction. And that's what building muscle does. Yeah. And so sometimes you need time to recuperate from that and, and disconnect mentally. So some of the things that I do, I've gotten back into reading my Bible. So gotcha. I'm a big believer. So my Bible verse 
of choice at this point. I always tell people it's Proverbs 1717. Um, a friend is built for good times, but a brother is built for adversity. And I always tell people that you surround yourself with people that's moving in the same direction as you, not people that have the same opinion as you. Right. Are people that uh, validate your feelings, but people that give you an honest assessment of yourself and help to motivate you. And I think I've done that with my core group of friends. Um, what else do I do? You, you know what? I don't go out as much um, at this point in my life. I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I take long drives. I've gotten back into working out, yo. Um, so I have a home gym uh, that kind of takes my attention. And I bought this new house down here in Middletown that I'm always seeming to do work on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'm trying to get some other Cheney grads to help me out. Uh, Rob and Myron. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when you guys listen, remember I shouted y'all out. Keith, <laughs> y'all can help me. <laughs> but no, other than that, you know, just decompressing, staying level-headed, looking at sports. Um, enjoying the kids. So my oldest daughter, as you can remember back at Cheney, yeah. is now 18. She'll be going Ooh. to Howard in the fall. So oh, I, I'm taking in some of the fruits of the labor. And I, I tell people that my path to here hasn't been easy. Right. Um, it hasn't been as hard as some, but my journey to here hasn't been easy. And I've had a lot of growing pain. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Right. So, like, what are some obstacles that you had to face on three different levels, right? One emotionally, uh, the second mentally, and then the third spiritually that you overcame? And, and, you know, what things did you do to kind of help you do that? Okay. So, uh, mentally, um, the loss of my mom, it, it actually has been tough because I didn't realize how much she overcompensated for my flaws. Wow. Um, and I, I think, and I say that to say this, that we as black men don't appreciate black women enough. Like our, our wives, our mothers, yeah. our sisters, our aunts, our baby mamas, for those that got them. Uh, yeah. Black women, um, oh, black women have uh, really shaped my life and allowed me to get to the point where I'm at today. So I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, but mentally getting over my mom was like, wow, yo, I'm actually doing it alone. And you know, as a young kid, you think, well, if my mom ever dies, I'm gonna die with her. And then yeah, when yeah. you have your own, you're like, oh shit, I can't do that. Excuse my mm-hmm. language. But no, you can't do that. You can't just shut it all down. And you gotta find that strength to kind of move forward. So for me, that was uh, that that it didn't take as long as I thought. But whenever I think about it, I'm like, wow, yo, I find myself talking to her like some of the elders when, when they're talking <laughs> to loved ones that's going like, oh, yeah, I did that. And I'm like, damn, I sound crazy. Now, I remember you used to telling her she was crazy for talking to her mom. And like, now I find myself doing it. So, oh, man. <laughs> emotionally. Um, like, so many people don't realize that I was probably married for like the last four years. So me and my son's mother, like the ups and downs with it, um, we did it real spontaneous out in Vegas. Okay. And um, just, you, you know what, just the ups and downs of going through the relationship and trying to uh, 
trying to, I, I mean, just prove your worth and um, mm -hmm. the loyalty aspect of it. And that is that that has been difficult and challenging um, at times. And then I have three daughters. So my oldest daughter lives in North Carolina down there where you are. But I'm okay. up here. And that creates that creates a mental strain sometimes because I like emotional strain, I should say, um, because sometimes I feel like I'm her sugar daddy. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> her dad. yeah. Especially during this pandemic, um, just traveling to go and get her. And I'm at the point now and I can't uh, <laughs> I'm not driving on the highway. I'll fly. Yeah. I'll yeah. <laughs> fly. Convenience. Yeah, yeah. But um that that our relationship has grown. She went from being with me all the time to now as a teenager having her her own life, her own friends, um, dad getting a short end of the stick. Not really, but that's how it feels. Um, yeah. when you look up like, yo, you always in my wallet, shorty. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get some time? Uh dad, I gotta work this weekend, or dad, I'm going with my friends here, or hi dad, I'm like. You know what? I, I'm gonna take this because now I know how my parents felt when they would say, "Hey, are you going to do this or do that?" So that that has been a strain. And then what was the last question? Spiritually, what obstacles they oh, face? Spiritually, you you know what? Um, and I guess I'm still going through it. I have a strong disconnect to the black church right now, and mm -hmm. I, I'm one of them people that realize that you know what you can't do you can't fellowship alone <laughs> nah, so now you gotta go you gotta go back into the church so now yeah. and i gotta go back in the church and I, I i've been given a reprieve a reprieve of sort because of covid but <laughs> I, i'm gonna have to reconcile that relationship and actually find a church home to really call my own and um really get in there but the politics of it sometimes turn me off but true but I guess now that I have sort of a public profile and everybody know me, um, it makes a difference. But I, I don't like uh, the direction mm -hmm. that the black church as an institution has taken. Um, I think prosperity gospel has ruined the connectivity of uh, of Christians throughout the country. And it made us a little bit more. It made us unapproachable in a sense. Mm -hmm. For people that's looking to connect through Christ, so but again, um, doesn't take away from my Christianity. Um, no, I hate when people say I hate when people say spirituality. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it hurts me. I don't know why, but I, I'm one of them people that says uh, for all the people that's spiritual out there, it's time for us to reconnect our Christianity, go in there and really influence how the black church is supposed to interact with our communities, not just ourselves. Yeah. I, I mean, I wholeheartedly get where you at and what you're talking about. Um, I found myself in that uh, disconnect in that, in that space. Uh, one of the things that I uh, began to do, my wife actually encouraged me to do so was to like, you know, just get with small, small groups with people, especially this whole zoom uh, culture. Uh, so, you know, I get on a couple of zooms with a couple of people and it's people that I might just meet for the first time. And, you know, we could be just talking about biblical principles or a scripture that, you know, we came across or how we feel spiritually. And so that gets you back in that fellowship mode. And then it gives a, a level of counter of accountability, you know, 
So, you know, just, you know, I, my, my advice to you in that is just start small. You know, don't just jump into something and like, y'all, Yo, you here and you got to uh, figure it out. Yeah, mo- most definitely. I, I got brothers out there that are, that are uh, circling their wagons and trying to get me back into it. And it'll <laughs> happen because I want to. But yeah. um, I, I try to keep that separate from what I'm doing publicly yeah. and keep that aspect of my life somewhat private just to keep because uh, you know what certain things just should remain uh, private and we live in a very public world in a public space so you know but those are things that uh, I work on on the daily mm-hmm. so like, what, what advice would you give to the dreamer to the person because before we got to the places that we're at we had to visualize this in our minds and in our hearts what advice would you give to the dreamer today if they say, uh, hey, Terrell, I want to you know, I want to get involved in politics and I want to be a community activist. I want to sit on boards and, and do the things that you do. What advice would you give to them? You know what? Start out by working and um, talk to people. Be being an advocate, being a community. You know, first off, everyone's a, part of a community member to some community. And you have to start there. Start locally. Be visible. Advocate. Show up to the board meetings. Um, Put together a plan. Um, Put together an initiative. Start fundraise at a local shelter. Um, Volunteer on a candidate's or uh, elected official's campaign. Learn the nuances. And that is one thing that I wish that I had took a little bit more serious when I was younger. Um, just really learning the ropes. Uh, at this point, I kind of just hopped out there because I was uh, being impulsive because I was tired at work. It's funny because I work back at the Census Bureau now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, you, you know what? You start out by volunteering, um, talking to people, getting a feel for what the issues is, being aware, reading your local papers, writing your, writing your local elected leaders holding them accountable, and then begin speaking out. Uh, You don't need education to run for office, people. You just got to, you need a platform. You need a plan. And uh, I always tell people, you can see it, you can believe it, and you can do it. But the doing is where most people get caught at. It takes work and sacrifice. And if you want to be an elected elected official, that means you got to avoid certain crowds. You got to look the part. Um, when people think of their leaders, they pedestal them. Yeah. They do. Uh, they it comes do. with certain criticisms. It comes with a, a, a hierarchy that most people themselves didn't believe that they can achieve, but then they're thrusted into that spotlight. And that becomes difficult because you can't move the way you would have moved if the spotlight wasn't on you. So you always got to be a role model. You always got to be an example. Be empathetic. Be sympathetic. Talk to people. Be supportive. Um, Being empathetic and being sympathetic doesn't mean you support a person's plight. Uh It just means that you understand what they're going through and you empathize with them. Before we close, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Before we close, man, uh, is there anything that you just want to say? It could be any topic, any any subject, anything uh, that's open right now for you. Anything that you would like to add? 
So I, I was doing some research because I, I know you're big on um, people starting their own business and entrepreneurship. So I wanted to share with everyone um, as far as business goes. Look, there are contracts out there which are state, local, county governments, city governments. Um, apply for them. Minority businesses, look, it are, there are plenty of privately owned white businesses that have been sustained by government contracts. Hmm. People get out there, apply for them. They are your tax dollars. And if you could get a piece of the pie to help sustain your business and set up generational wealth, then you're obliged to do it. Um, you're obligated to do it. I should say. Uh, what else? Um, take advantage of some of the free resources out there like score.org or .com to help people set up financial business plans uh, and help with the financing. Apply for government grants. Go to sba.com. That's Small Business Administration. And apply for those grants. Um, get those startup grants. If you have an idea for a business, don't sit on it. Get out there, create your EIN numbers, uh, get a bank account, um, get a business bank account and only operate your business uh, financials out that account and start start building. Uh, it's an opportunity out there for everyone in America to be successful if you're willing to work for it. Um, for those of you that are gonna go out and pursue education, higher education, be deliberate. Be deliberate with the degrees that you get in the classes that you take. We are now in a space where you don't have to spend $100,000 and graduate $100,000 in debt. If there are courses that you could take at the community college level, go out there, take those courses, save money. If you had the ability to stay at home a little bit longer, stay at home. And for those of you that are forced to take out student loans to pay for education, um, think about the military. Think about public service. Think about volunteering at those organizations, as whatever organization, public nonprofit organizations to help get those loans forgiven. And last but not least, people uh, get out there, buy homes, buy property. Um, for people just starting out and you want to get out there and buy a duplex live in the first floor apartment and rent out the top. There are ways for people to create multiple streams of income. Um, there is no shortcut in the journey to success. No. You will face adversity in life. Get over it. When you need a hug or you need a pick me up, there's someone always around to do that. Never become discouraged. And when all else fails, say a prayer and keep moving. Man, that's that's that's. I mean, I you 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 talking to the people, but sometimes you know the people who doing all the talking sometimes need the encouragement too, man. So I thank you for that, man. And when I seen that you were running and you moving Delaware, yes, you, you put your campaign slogan was "Move Delaware Forward," moving Delaware forward. And I looked up, I seen you, I said, oh, that's Terrell. We talked <laughs> about this, this. <laughs> so I had to, I said, oh, I gotta reach out to you, man. And it was just, I was just so happy, man, just to see that you did it because you always talked about it. You know what I mean? And and I said, that just like a dream within a dream within a dream, man. We, we sat, argued, debated, 
back and forth and look you went ahead and did it man so i commend you for that man just for sticking to your plan and um i celebrate you for that man and i know it's not just not it's not gonna be the last time that you're gonna do it do this and um any way i can support man i'm just a phone call away most definitely oh yo you know what and i'd be remiss if i don't say this um I don't think people realize that uh, you don't have to be the best of friends when going through something, but I'm a firm believer that still sharpens still. And uh, our interactions, our friendship, our uh, our brotherhood has really given me the strength to go out there and do some of the things I do. I sit back and watch you start your business from scratch, support the family. Guys, if you guys don't know, Chris has been hustling since the early 2000s. <laughs> I'm not selling t-shirts, sodas, <laughs> taking pictures at the party. <laughs> oh, man. This man has been hustling. And um, for those who ever wanted advice, whoever needed guidance, even if he don't mess with you like that, he's never been one to shy away from helping out a person. And those are the type of people that we need in our community to help move us forward. Not just here in Delaware, but across America. And one of the things I told Chris when he reached out just offline, he probably gonna cut this part out, but I was telling him, we were talking on the phone, five minutes turned into like 45 minutes, but I was telling him to expand this platform because the next, uh, the next generation of black leaders, especially in the media industry is up next. And there's no reason why Chris Thomas from, um, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, uh, from Cheney University, can't be the next person on the radio holding a forum just like this, like Solomon Jones in Philadelphia or Tom Joyner nationally, or, uh, and go from there. And brother, we see the work that you're doing. I've been an admirer for a very long time. And uh, through all our ups and downs, it's, it's, not, it's always been nothing but love. Always, always, man, I appreciate that. And one of the things you said to me, man, that um, that stick that stuck with me, and that that night I was going in, man, just trying to figure out different ways and different strategies. You said work harder. That's all. Just just, just, just put your head down and go and get to it. And um, that 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 gave me some. They gave me a boost, man. They gave me some energy. And that's what I'm gonna do, man. I promise. You, I promise you that. That's what I'm gonna do. Man, much love to you, brother. I Always. appreciate everything that you're doing, man. Thank you for taking the time out for me today and uh just to greet the people man and, and you know give your foresight and your insight on everything that's going on um and this won't be our last conversation man i'm not gonna allow that because oh, no, no, no. i already because i already know what you gonna do i know i know what oh, you're gonna you, do you know what you you got the first interview when i announced so uh oh man that's love. you know what you, you just set the stage yo. we can't move forward if we're not uplifting one another so you gave me the platform and i, I will definitely extend the gratitude back Oh, man, that's love, man. Appreciate you, my brother. You'll be hearing from me soon. Most definitely. All right, my brother. Hope you enjoyed Tempo Podcast today. You can subscribe on all podcast platforms and on our website at www.paysetmovement.com. Thanks for listening. And until next week, remember, create momentum, then dictate tempo.